Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We're really glad you guys are here joining us. Uh, many of you are on your 374th 74? podcast. Oh, my gosh. 374. <laughs> it's so cool. And we are diving into Netflix today. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Everybody's favorite question mark. This is really fun because Netflix is kind of a technology company. They're kind of a branding company. They're streaming, obviously. It's like, how do we figure out whether this is a company we can understand? How do we figure out how to understand it? What can we do? And and kind of looking at it through the lens that a Warren Buffett might look through it at, which is fascinating because, of course, it's dropped like a brick and to my knowledge, Warren Buffett isn't buying any of it. Well, to your mm-hmm. knowledge, because we don't know about to these things until later. Right, exactly. But it does not seem like his kind of company, I will say that. Well, yeah, true. Um, I think the biggest reason it doesn't seem like his kind of company to me that just leaps off of the page of Netflix is that it doesn't have free cash flow, which yeah. immediately puts it in a very suspect category of companies that Buffett and Munger tend to avoid. And that's a really big lesson. I hope you guys have been learning over the years that a company that has earnings is great and it looks great and everything, but earnings are sort of a a fictional accounting uh, number, whereas cash in the bank is money you can actually use. And that is defined by operating cash or free cash flow and owner earnings. And Netflix Netflix just doesn't have any free cash. They just spend every bit of money they've got. They spend it all. They do. New they spend content. it all. And most of the comments we got from the listeners which were excellent were about exactly what you just said. Netflix has negative free cash. Mm-hmm. How does that square with everything you've been teaching us for years? Yeah, it really So, doesn't. but wait, before we get to that, so tell yeah. me, Dad, how do you want to go through this? I would go through it with starting with understanding the meaning of the company, then going to the whether or not it has a moat, then the man, like going through the, the steps we usually go through. I'm going to do that. But is that I, your plan I think. Here? I think we ought to go to the elephant in the room right off the bat, which, which is, is exactly what we just talked about. In okay. other words, going into understanding the business and what's the moat and what a management team and then, you know, what's the value of the business. All of that is kind of um, moot if the elephant in the room cannot be properly tamed, to continue the elephant metaphor. Hmm. So 
I think we got to look at the free cash flow. I think that is the real, the real big, huge, gigantic issue. And if we can get to some understanding about how that might be okay, then I think we can come back and say, all right, well, let's understand the business. No, in other words, okay, we don't have real. to go at it in a linear sort of way, I don't think. In general, I, I tend to sometimes just jump in when I see a company like Netflix. I immediately feel like I understand it to some degree because I use it all the time. So I'm a little bit comfortable. It's like going into a store. You're, you you buy their stuff all the time. You go and buy burritos all the time or clothing all the time. You already feel like, yeah, I kind of understand this. Um, and it's I think it's obviously a cool company. It obviously has a brand or whatever. You know, you very quickly after you've been doing this a while, you can sort of make a rough guess that this could be something worth looking at. And then you look at the numbers very quickly. Look at the numbers. What's the return on equity? Return on invested capital? What's the debt? And what's the free cash flow? And you can very quickly get to this point with Netflix where there's an elephant in the room. Gigantic big elephant. There's not a okay. lot of point in That's going so through all the rest of it. Yeah, it's just I, I, like it's like um, from my perspective, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying we shouldn't go there. Like, let's go there because that's what everybody wants to hear about. But mm -hmm. um, how can I know if I can understand why they have negative free cash flow if I don't even know the basics of how this business works? Like, well, yeah, I can use their service. I can know that, like, Netflix puts a streaming platform up, but that doesn't mean I know anything about how the business behind the scenes works. Totally fair. Totally so that's, fair response. That's my, that's my, like, oh, wait, I need to understand this business well enough because I'm not going to truly have a sense of anything I read, of whether anything I read about the cash flow issue is true or not true or some totally bogus thing or something very smart unless I yeah. have, have, have like the basics down. Dang. I, I, I think I stand a bit corrected because I think very quickly when you take a look at the numbers and you say, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that approach I just laid out there. Right. I mean, it's just like, Oh, okay. Now let's just scanning the business, the business I like, I think I understand it a little bit. Um, it's probably got a brand moat. You know, management's Reed Hastings, they're, he's fabulous. So immediately I can get to where, this could be an unwonderful company. And then I look at the main numbers and I go, oh, whoa, this is nasty. There's something, there's something that's way wrong here. Okay, so, so let's do it that like becomes that. the elephant in the room. But here's, here's to your point, huh, I maybe need to understand this business. Yeah, Better so maybe, maybe, but maybe that's a good way to go because then it's like there's a first pass. Do I want to continue? And then if you do, then there's the second pass, yeah. which is now I'm going to actually put time into this. Yeah. So let's do the first pass. I like it. Okay. What does the first just, pass look like? Well, the first pass is just real rough. You know, it's the product I use. And so um, I, I think I understand why I'm using it and why... It's the largest streaming company. It's just got fabulous content. I mean, every everything I grab off of Netflix, it's like you go into a clothing store and everything fits. It's like <laughs> I just go in and just pick something. They've got, you know, the top 10 streaming whatevers and you just pick one, right? I just, I just, I picked like the last kingdom and it was fantastic. I got completely addicted to it. And then I picked 
uh, what did that thing about Anna? And I'm like, this is so not me. And I'm in this thing with this. I don't you know, know why, but just how much you love everything you watch on Netflix, like really I know, tickles it's me. Crazy. It's and just... I just last night I started the Lincoln Lawyer, and I'm like, oh, I'm so addicted to this. I I stayed up till three. It was ridiculous. This is this is gone, long gone, and I like can't shut the damn thing off. And this is this is a books I've read by Michael Conley, so I know all the stories. And B, a movie I've seen, the two two movies, right, about the Lincoln lawyer, and now here's this whole new thing, and it's just fantastic. They're just great at it. They <laughs> these long form movies that just go. So they're you hitting in. the uh, the boomer demo really well. God, I guess so. <laughs> they're hitting this boomer demo really well, you know. And so, and they're making. I know a couple of things about the business. They make. Um, something new every day every day the, the the most prolific streaming company next to netflix makes something new every week so they're producing it's an interesting stat yeah it's like they're producing something like five times more content than the next closest competitor hmm. um, and those competitors are always bitching about how much netflix is spending uh, you know and driving up the cost of everything um, but it seems to be working quite well for Netflix, at least in terms of of uh, its subscriber base. Um, and then, of course, the the big problem that created a gigantic meltdown for it was a combination of the Fang stocks all melting down more or less at once mm-hmm. um, as investors started to retrench from from the Nasdaq, and then the miss that it had on its let's just say the fang stocks the fang stocks it's an acronym for anybody who hasn't probably everybody's heard facebook apple what's the other a no what there's two a's um, amazon amazon netflix and google (laughs) google right so it's not alphabet (laughs) no you're right (laughs) it probably is now it's now just fan yes fan 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 yeah fan Right. So so um, they missed they missed on their subscriber growth. And that is um, that was a huge red flag to the I mean, you know, the the inevitably short term view of fund managers on Wall Street. I mean, they have to take a short term view. What's going to happen in the next few months to Netflix? Because their competitors are all going to respond in the next few months and they get, as we've said so many times, those fund managers are getting uh, graded by their pension fund investors based on how they're doing this month, how they're doing this quarter. So they really can't afford to have a big miss like Netflix. If everybody's getting out, they sort of have to get out too. That's true. And I'll also say it in a more objective way. People have have uh, developed grave concerns about whether or not Netflix can sustain its current sus- subscriber face much less grow in the future right there right right so in terms of trying to figure out what's going even, on even by the way just to be clear even investors with very long-term views may hold that view yeah and that's 100 percent. that's what we're going to talk i mean that's the big question yeah i mean it is it is a really big question there's no doubt about it and um so you're looking the, through the answer is not easy in other words the answer is not i'm going to say it's it's not something you can just throw off. So 
I, I think to your point, you know, we see this big problem, which is that, wow, um, there just isn't any free cash flow. It is zero across all of their years. And that is a gigantic Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, rule one, red flag, nasty, do not touch. And the reason for that, just to be clear, is that by definition, free cash flow is the money left over after the company pays all of its expenses, after it pays out for all of its R&D, after it pays out for all of its capital improvements and replacement of capital items, then there's money left over. And that money that's left over, free cash flow, is available for the company to distribute uh, to shareholders, either by buying back stock or by paying dividends. It's also available to management to acquire other companies. Mm, um, they can point. go buy people. Um, it's there to allocate. They can try to, um, those, are, those are really the three main uses of it. Uh, management that's getting a lot of free cash flow can just sit on it. That's the other choice. Apple did that for years. They mm -hmm. just camped out on mm -hmm. all this extra cash thinking maybe someday they would need it and they just didn't want to give it out until investors started whining about it. So those free cash flow with Buffett and Munger and me, Phil Town and Danielle, is gigantic. It's just really the bottom line for a company. They either produce free cash flow or they don't. And companies that don't produce free cash flow don't produce it because they have to replace stuff all the time. Yes. So that's not good. The money... The money that the company earns doesn't end up in the investor pocket or the owner's pocket. Let's just think of about it. you're a, you're the owner of the business. Nobody else is in it with you. You just you're not a shareholder. You're an owner, and you really want to benefit from the business other than from some, you know, esoteric moral contribution to society. You would like to make money on this thing. Presumably, you have an investment in it, and you want to get money back eventually. And if the company is private, it, things can start to be much clearer. If Netflix is private and I own it completely, when am I going to get to put some money in my pocket? Yes. That's really what it boils down to. I maybe would add one more thing, if that's okay. Yeah, fire away. I think it does boil down to that. But I also think what having, let's call it leftover money, mm -hmm. um, shows is that this is a very healthy company. This is a company that's bringing in more money than they need. Now, whether yep. that money ends up in my pocket as an investor, or as you just said, could be used to purchase companies or could be um, used as a great nest egg that gives the company a lot of power, various ways. Um, but to me, what it says, and maybe this is too simplistic, I'd be interested in your view, but I take it as a sign of this is a company that has more than it strictly needs to not only exist and replace the stuff it needs to replace, which is the capital expenditures, but also has more than it needs to grow, which are the growth expenditures, the way that you've broken it right. down in owner right. earnings, which has been right. really, really helpful. It can not only maintain itself, but it can also grow, right? And, and have money left over after doing what it needs to do to grow the way it wants. And very that well is said. a very financially healthy company. Yes. yes. That's if what we would call a company that does that, by the way, I would say that's what we're looking for in terms of a low bar to jump over. That's yeah. a six inch bar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
So if they don't have that leftover money, free cash flow, then what that says to me is they are spending all their extra money. Well, it could mean that they don't even have enough money to put it into growth. Okay, that's bad. But more likely uh, in a company that I'm looking at, they're putting all their money into growth. And they think they have to do that in order to whatever, maintain market share, be able to consistently compete, be set up well for the future, you know, like whatever, be able to get into the new markets they're trying to get, like whatever it is with that company. And that can be okay with a really high growth emerging company. Mm -hmm. It can also not be so good. The circumstance where that would be okay um, that we have seen and kind of become a little bit a little bit used to it are on companies that have a network moat. That network moat means that this company has all these users and the, the number of users are growing and it's got this universe of users and that is essential to its value of its customers is that there's all these users there. Mm-hmm. So companies like Amazon, Alibaba, uh, JD.com over in China, companies that are are growing and have to keep spending all of their free cash flow and everything they can borrow and everything they can raise capital for um, to continue to grow rapidly um, are kind of network moat type companies. And the most obvious example of that is Facebook. And yeah. It has a tremendous market share as a result of its, you know, its rapid, rapid, rapid ascent as a networking company. And so, you know, today obviously Facebook does throw off a lot of cash and it's, it's doing really quite well. But um, other companies that are in that process have developed kind of this idea that there's this moat that's created to ever expanding and you've got to spend the money to do that until you finally reach a point where no competitor can touch you and then you can start to throw off cash. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So that's that's what we look at that and, and have seen in the past has done very, very well for a few companies. And that is Netflix' attempt. That's what they try to do. They try to simply outspend their competition to have much more content. The way the way that an Amazon would have content, Netflix has to have content, and and they're going to outspend. When you say Amazon, you content. mean Amazon Prime? I'm sorry. No, I mean just Amazon. Period. Not not Amazon in terms of direct competition to uh, Netflix, but just the Amazon website does well because it has everything on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's massive amount of content. Yeah. And Netflix is really attempting to do the same thing, having everything on it better than everybody else by far um, brings subscribers into it who are evangelical in their their joy of having all of this content 
um, and they tell their friends and their friends say, oh my gosh, yes. And for Netflix, it creates this, this idea that we've talked about of a flywheel, which is the um, sort of the, the virtuous cycle of getting more subscribers who are paying a premium. Netflix is 15 or $20 compared to say seven or eight or even free on other streaming services. So these subscribers are paying a premium, giving Netflix more ammo to fire at more content, which makes people more evangelical, which tells their friends to get it. And you end up with a product that, or a company that is kind of mandatory. I mean, it's sort of like everybody has Netflix. It's just everybody does who's streaming. Well, that's one description. Yeah, that's kind of, and that flywheel is critical to understanding the Netflix model um, and keeping that flywheel moving. By flywheel, we mean something that sort of starts to spin on its own momentum, right? It's like a, like you get it started, but the way it works <laughs> is that as it, as the weight of it goes over the top through an energy input, it has tremendous momentum and it carries it around almost around a full cycle without any extra input. Maybe there's a, input. a cancellation flywheel also. <laughs> I, at this point, it doesn't appear to be so at all. Um, the cancellations with Netflix don't seem to be the least bit out of the ordinary and are about half of anybody else. Like all, all of the rest of the, of, of the streamers have much higher cancellations um, every month than Netflix does. Literally, it's about half. So um, on that note, it looks better. Um on the total number of subscribers, it's nearly double of everybody else, although Netflix has started to realize that um, its 200,000 subscriber base is probably 300,000, quite a lot larger than they thought, and about 100,000 people are piggybacking on, on uh, friends and relatives using their Netflix login to use the service for free, and Netflix is looking for a way to monetize that. Yeah. So it's actually quite, it's quite a lot larger than it actually looked like. Um, initially. And so it's the biggest by, by subscribers. It's the fastest, well, it has been the fastest growing. And then here comes this point where it stalled out. Um, it didn't actually go negative. That's not true. It, it, it went negative nominally, but it only went negative in subscriber growth because uh, they had to shut down all over Ukraine and Russia. <clears throat> and that took a bunch of subscribers off. But other than that, it was still positive. They're they're projecting a negative growth here over the next quarter or two. But then they're projecting a rebound and a continued growth rate. And we look back in the history of Netflix. Again, this is why, Daniel's your point that you really need to understand the business is so key, is that when you look at the history of the business, you see that it's gone through this multiple times. This is not new to Netflix executives. What is not new? Um, price raise and a bit of a, a, a bit of a rejection of oh, the price yeah, raise. Oh, no, yeah, they've done that several um, times. A subscriber, you know, the challenges of competitors in the past have been a, very extreme in, in the past, multiple times. Yeah. And so um, none of that's really new to Netflix. In other words, to read Hastings, there's not much new going on in the world that they haven't already been competing with successfully for the last decade. And um, he's pretty confident that they will be very, very successful in competing with the current challenges. Well, let's get back straight to the free cash flow because oh, yeah. one of our listeners, Brendan from New Zealand, sent in 
an email, which I thought really, inca- like for me, it really crystallized the issue. And I thought it was really smart. Mm-hmm. So he said, how does, how do you guys see, and this, I'm going to direct this to you because I don't have an answer. How does Phil see the uh, expenditure, the huge expenditure that Netflix is putting into content? Mm-hmm. How do we, as people trying to determine owner earnings, mm-hmm. how do we decide what portion is capital expenditures? What has to be spent in order to simply continue the business? Right. And what portion would be classified growth expenditures? So maintenance capital expenditures right. versus growth capital expenditures. Yes, you're right. right. I'm using <clears throat> I'm using capital expenditures to mean maintenance. Yeah, you're right. So, so maintenance it, capital expenditures versus growth capital expenditures. Because right I think that if we can look at that and see what you think about that, then maybe we can try to understand why they're spending all their money on what I would think is for growth. Because that's the big question out there. Why they're that spending all their extra money, I should say, that would otherwise be free cash flow. Right. Right. So in general, you guys, what, what you want to look for um, is the 10 into 10K. Um, you search for capital expenditures, capital EXP, something like that. Usually will bring it right up. And the company will have written up information about their capital expenditures. Many companies are very close to the vest about this. They don't tell you very much information about capital expenditures, uh, breaking it out between maintenance and growth. Other companies are very forthcoming and will lay it right out there for you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Often even in a in an accounting chart, they'll they'll put out, you know, this is new stores. And you can you can sort of look down the the companies that do put it into a breakout We'll, we'll have it broken out new stores, uh, rehabilitating old stores, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it's, it becomes fairly obvious if you, you know, you're, you're doing a certain amount of subjective analysis here, but you just take a, a reasonable look at it and, and, uh, and break it out. As the company says, this is for new stuff and this is for old stuff. Acquisition um, of new companies, I would classify that as growth. Oh, acquisition of new companies is not even in the capital expenditure line. It is all on, or it should be on its own line in under the investing category. So we don't call that a capital expenditure. That's just mm-hmm. merger or acquisition, typically an acquisition. Um, so we don't have to worry about that, thank goodness. But um, certainly we do have to try to understand between maintenance and, and, um, and uh, growth. And so some businesses like Chipotle for example, had one year in its 10K where it broke it out really clearly, laid it right out there, and then it kind of stopped doing that. But you, So that's the reason we dig deep in trying to understand the business. We read a lot of 10Ks is you don't have the same information every year. Um, but you're looking for that breakout. Now, if the company doesn't give it to you and you can't make a reasonable estimate based on competitors who might give it to you, right? you could look at companies Love that, are that point a pure any other what we'd call a pure play business right that is doing the same thing competing straight up maybe expressing the difference between maintenance and capital expenditures in its 10k so if you look at competitors you you try to understand the whole industry uh you read a lot and you come to a conclusion and if you can't 
if it's too hard, then what we do in my shop is we just use 70% as a default. So we just go, okay, we just don't know. We just don't have any information from any place. And so we're going to just take a windage view of it and say that 70% of capital expenditures are maintenance. And then just go from there. If you want to, you can use 100% and, and be very, very conservative. They don't spend anything on growth. They are 100% maintenance. Okay. But we think everybody spends something on growth. So almost everybody does. So that's our, that's our default way of looking at this. Now, having said that, Netflix is not easy. This is not a six-inch bar by any means. Um, I have this in my portfolio to a degree, but as a risky biz. I, I, I think absolutely when a business does not produce free cash flow that you are looking at the potential for a time bomb to go off, that eventually they discover that they're really just replacing everything all the time and it's not a good business model. Yeah, With I think Netflix, that gets to the heart different. of the question. Yeah, right, which maybe is they're to go into the maybe question it's of all maintenance expenditures. Right. Yeah. And if you look at free cash flow as a as a kind of a reference point, it doesn't bother me entirely that there's no free cash flow because a lot a number of fast growing companies don't produce free cash flow. They are absolutely pouring it all back in there. And absolutely, sure, and that's appropriate. If you appropriate. were running it, you'd do it too. Yeah. But when we start looking at owner earnings, we get a little different picture of a company, right? Then we're not interested in what are they spending on growth. We're, we're looking at it as a piece of real estate hmm. where you know, you're know you renting the house and you're not putting on a second story or putting in a mother-in-law unit in the garage. You are just renting the house and you have maintenance expenditures. You have no growth expenditures. Hmm. Right. Well, what's your cash flow on that basis? Because that gives you a really, really different look at the world and allows companies with no free cash flow to become very interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at Netflix in that view. Then you have to look at this 20 billion dollars that they spent last year and which is growing every year that they're spending on content and say how much of that content is just replacing content. Never. How in other words, much of it is just required to, to have to have content. this streaming service? Yeah. Well, those are two different questions. Actually. How are they? Oh, that's how are they two different questions? Well, one one aspect of of the question is how much of this is just replacing stuff nobody's li looking at anymore. Uh huh. And the other one is. In this industry, how critical is it to have new content? Those are different. Interesting. Meaning, so, so like, the, they the, could have nothing but a giant lineup of crowd favorites from five years ago. They could. Like that, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. They, so you're saying, like, have. maybe that's the maintenance, and then the right. growth is, is everything else. That would be else. the maintenance. Yeah. How, how much of what they've already built is going to be viewed in the future you know let's say a year after it's been played how much of that is still going to be useful other people are going to come in and watch it mm -hmm. and and pay for that experience mm -hmm. and which is which how, happens yeah right i mean look at how much netflix i don't remember how much maybe you know but they paid a huge amount for all the seinfeld episodes to nbc 
Right. Which NBC is pulling because they want it to be on Peacock. Right. But it was so worth it. And I know people who subscribe to Netflix just to get access to all the Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Seinfeld, Friends. Yeah. Right. I mean, look at some of these television channels. There's a television channel that all they do is play the Dallas cheerleader tryouts. Oh, my God. How many times are you going to mention this? Well, how important is that? (laughs) That this is something that got built years ago and it's still printing money. I think it's right to the point. There are there. Again, there are companies that are still playing. um, um, Oh, God, Matt Dillon, Dodge City, Gunsmoke. They're still doing Gunsmoke. They're still doing Andy of Mayberry yeah. on television. So these are businesses that have, there's no cost whatsoever to the product mm-hmm. and they are, and people are paying for it. And they're, right? I Advertisers mean, advertise on those channels. Absolutely. It's and just it's a money hugely, machine. You're right. It's hugely valuable, which is why so many content creators have started their own streaming services so they can gain the benefit of so that library. So they can monetize that stuff. Disney yeah. and NBC being the main uh, obvious ones, right on. especially Disney. Especially so then you have Disney. to think, okay, then at least some of what Netflix is doing has to be stuff that gets repeated into the future. It's got to be some, right? There's got to yeah. be the equivalent of the Dallas cheerleaders and then Andy Mayberry and whatever else. There has to be. <laughs> She's okay. Danielle's laughing because after when... <laughs> you told me how obsessed you were with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader <laughs> reality show, I believed you and I went and paid Amazon two ninety nine probably for an episode of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader show. Oh my God. It was not good. Oh, I'm sorry no. to tell you. Well, so sorry, the fact you that you're saying there's one. an entire channel that plays nothing but the Dallas Cow. I mean, maybe you have to watch it over and over and over. I, I don't know. It did not speak to me. It didn't grab you when these girls are being chewed out by this Harridan dance instructor. I mean, maybe I watched a bad season. <laughs> it's possible. They're being told that you're, you're a loser. You know, I you're tell somebody to go it. watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and they watch the wrong season. They're not going <laughs> to like it. You got to start with season one, everybody. Well, I'll, in my in my defense, it's on TV 24-7. That is insane. Somebody's watching it. Either it is free and they're putting it on and they're running commercials for like shower chairs. and Whatever. Uh, somebody is watching it or they wouldn't be there. So... <laughs> to to the to the point of Netflix's breakout of this twenty billion, you, and this becomes extremely difficult and hazardous to determine what portion of that is replacing stuff that's nobody's ever going to watch again. That yeah. in, in in the business world and accounting, um, we use this idea of depreciation of an mm. asset. Mm. So if you think about a truck as a as an example of this. There's a lifetime depreciation schedule on a truck of, let's say, five years. But we all know that a diesel pickup truck or a semi lasts way longer than five years. But everyone has agreed that that's going to be the lifetime that gets depreciated. Mm. So some assets have an ongoing life for many, many, many years past their depreciated life. Netflix is depreciating everything over a four-year period. They've gone, and this is in the 10K, it's part of the accounting notes, Mm. and it's really fundamental to 
um, my team kind of coming to a conclusion that this could be a really hidden good investment. And that is that this, this four-year accounting depreciation schedule is highly arbitrary. It was defined as a negotiation between the auditor and the management team. Hmm. They just said that's down interesting. In room First of all, that there decided. even was a negotiation about that. Yeah, yeah. Right Why? On. Right, right. Because there's all sorts of tax implications for how how quickly you're going to write this off, and there's also the accountant's concern or the CPA concern that they're not listing assets on the books that have no value. Hmm. That's how you get your butt sued off if you're a, if you're a good CPA firm. Hmm. It's the last hmm. thing you want to have happen. So hmm. CPA firms are going to be rather aggressive about getting stuff off the books. See, when you when you depreciate it, it comes off of your balance sheet, and it no longer is listed as a valuable asset. So your pickup truck, which is let's say seventy thousand dollars, is on your balance sheet when you buy it um, because you've converted. $70,000 of cash that was on the balance sheet into a truck. So your balance sheet doesn't go down, mm -hmm. right? You don't, you don't, you're not worth less because you bought the truck, at least not year one. Mm -hmm. But at the end of year one, that truck's, that truck's not worth 70,000 anymore. So now your balance sheet is going negative a little bit, right? It drops by $10,000 or even more, maybe 20,000. So the balance sheet is going down and the auditors are very interested in making sure that if you had to sell that truck, you would get at least what they put it on the balance sheet to be ah, worth. I am intrigued. Because if you don't get that this. much, they can get sued. Well, so if, yeah. Yeah. It's more worse than that. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to cut you off here because okay. this is a big conversation I can see that we're getting into and we're running up on time. Uh, so so we are. let's put a hold here. We'll pick up next week with talking more about this depreciation of entertainment assets. Yeah. This is not a case in, of first impression. I mean, TV's been around for a long time. Other auditors have had to deal with this question. Yes, indeed. I'm fascinated. So there could be a vast discrepancy between the auditor's desire to not get sued and therefore depreciate everything quickly uh, particularly with streaming assets, and the facts of the asset value, which is that the Dallas cheerleaders go on forever. And that <laughs> other shows get canceled after one episode. Yeah, exactly. So, so we'll get back onto that next week. It's pretty cool. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Right. Until then, Bye. time to go play. See you guys. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>